This episode is brought to you by Lola and Licka. Hi, I'm Miriam Burke. And I'm Eving McBride. And welcome to A Little Birdie Told Me, a podcast brought to you by rollercoaster.ie. Every week, we'll be bringing you insights, advice, and our own personal experiences, along with some great guests to help you, our listeners, navigate the ups and downs of pregnancy and parenting. In this episode, we're joined by lactation consultant Kiva Whelan to discuss the great debate and look at feeding both breast and bottle from our own perspectives. From the joy of a successful latch to painful complications like mastitis, everything will be covered. I am an IBCLC, International Board Certified Lactation Consultant, and I've been doing that for about five years and I see clients in South Dublin. So how I got into it... um, Interestingly enough, or maybe it's not interesting at all, I started off my career as an electrical engineer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, feels like hundreds of years ago, but um, I, my kind of career path meandered a few times but when I had my first baby Ruri which was just over 14 years ago I breastfed him and I started to go to my local Quidju breastfeeding support group so Mm -hmm. that was sort of my in (laughs) to breastfeeding Um, I subsequently trained as a Quidju breastfeeding counsellor and I did that for a number of years I think it was about seven years and from there I took what's called the voluntary counsellor route towards Mm -hmm. IBCLC certification and um, was it like a an innate love of breastfeeding that led you to that? Do you know what? It, when I started to breastfeed Ruri, I hadn't even given it any thought. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it just it happened. I I breastfed him, but once I started to go to the breastfeeding support group, I met other moms, and it it was about being with other women, I suppose, and a sense of community mm. and um, minding each other, and. The, the the breastfeeding support group and having that network of women was one of the reasons why I suppose I had such a positive breastfeeding experience myself. Um, and I I really valued and appreciated the support I got from breastfeeding counsellors mm-hmm. when I needed it, the support to keep going or to be reassured that this is normal. Um, so I, I suppose I wanted to give something back. So I went, went on and trained. I think the training took about 18 months. Yeah, um, that's and quite then a I long time. Yeah, it is. It, it's 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 very thorough training. It was about ten days, full days of training, yeah. spread over eighteen months. And like, I'm just really curious to know what you know why it's so long and why there's so much in it. Because you know, we are taught to believe that breastfeeding is the most natural thing yeah. in the mm-hmm. world. Like that is why you have breasts. Yeah, <laughs> to feed your baby. Yeah, they're functional. Yeah. <laughs> But as we all know, for some people, for some women who want to breastfeed, it's very hard and really difficult and it doesn't feel natural. Yeah, it, it you know, on paper, it should be so easy, shouldn't it? You know, mm. put your baby to the breast and away you go. And um, we're also fed that imagery yeah. that it's a very like peaceful, yeah. um, you know, natural, loving moment, which yeah. it can be. And, you know, I've definitely had that experience. Yeah. But at the start, it's incredibly stressful. Yeah. And feels awkward. Yeah. No, it, it, it can be very difficult. But, you know, a bit like motherhood as well. You know, it's all it's not all just lovely re- unicorns and rainbows and um, joy. It, it can be very, very challenging. Um, but I suppose back to your question, um, Miriam, just about the breastfeeding counselling and why it would take so long to train. And likewise, like it took me about five years to train as a lactation consultant. Mm-hmm. You know, breastfeeding, we can't sort of look at it in isolation. Mm. Um, There's a much broader context. So breastfeeding is very much intertwined with motherhood, self-identity, how we feel about ourselves. And, um, you know, our experiences prior to breastfeeding can impact on the experience or how things went in the hospital, the birth experiences in the hospital, societal experiences. factors as well you know what kind of support a mother might have at home or among her family members or in her community um, might be factors as well or what they've been exposed to in the media so it's it's almost impossible to sort of just look at breastfeeding as in you know the mom's nipple and the baby's mouth Mm -hmm. there's so much more going on yeah um, and it's a very embodied experience as well. Yeah. And also, if you, 
you know, that that time, those few months after a mother has a baby is um, it's it's almost as if she steps into a completely different existential space. She's very sort of vulnerable mm-hmm. and raw. So there's a new part of your identity yeah. forming that, you know, it needs to grow as well. Completely. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't like once you, the baby comes out, you're not automatically the mother. I mean, you are, but it's not your that part of your identity needs to be formed and that takes time you know absolutely the fourth yeah, trimester yeah. is a great time for that but obviously it goes beyond yeah. and like you have older children now and I'm, I'm sure that you're still kind of navigating it in different yeah, ways it's an ongoing yeah. process yeah. for sure but nothing can really prepare you for what it's going to be like and for the kinds of feelings you're going to have and I, I I'm sure you know y- you might relate to this but I, I know when I was pregnant with my first baby and I read a particular baby care book and I had the schedule up on the fridge and, and you know I, I had no idea what it was going to be like but in my head I thought it's going to be so simple yeah uh, you know I get up at a quarter to seven and I feed the baby and then I go down the stairs and I make tea and toast and blah 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 so um, nothing can really prepare you you know for the, for um, all of the the feelings and the experiences you're going to have so just Going back to sort of be training as a breastfeeding counsellor, you know, it's, it's big emphasis on counselling skills and listening and understanding where a person is at when they talk to you about breastfeeding um, and being able to see that bigger picture and the big context of, of the woman's experience. You know. So why do you think breastfeeding figures or numbers are still so low in Ireland? Because I think, is it in Europe, are we the lowest? Um, <sighs> you know, I think actually globally. Right. <laughs> we've okay. A, we've a long way to go. Now, we like, why is that? Yeah, it's, is, is it, it it's one a good reason? question. Um, it's complicated. I, I, I suppose over the last number of generations, um, globally or more so in the Western world, women have been convinced to stop breastfeeding and give their babies infant formula. Um, you know, the reasons for that are sort of complicated. Um, you know, follow the money is, is one of one of the reasons why, um, you know, it's it's big business. Um, then I also do think like myself and Miriam kind of spoke about this a little bit before coming on air. It is a bit tribal nearly. Mm. You know, I feel like you do kind of fit into certain camps. Yeah. And Miriam and I are in different camps. <laughs> um slightly but, different. Yeah, but we are obviously bridging yeah. bridging that gap. Um but you know, I think there's definitely mindsets and yeah. you know some people are very much against even attempting to breastfeed yeah. before they even give birth. So, you know, is is that like is is that an Irish thing or is that a Western I, I thing? I don't or? know that it's an Irish thing. I think it's more of a Western thing. But um, I, I suppose that goes back to how we talk about breastfeeding and infant feeding generally. And you know, I think societally we're still we're still learning how to do that. And I mean, personally, this is my own personal view. I, I, I think the whole messaging around infant feeding needs a bit of an overhaul. And we need to sort of reevaluate and say, is this working? Because at the moment, infant feeding is presented in a very binary way. It's either you breastfeed, you know, you go into that camp <laughs> or you formula feed. And um, we're sort of conditioned to think that you choose either one. But actually, it's a lot more nuanced than that. And also, is it really fair to sort of put it all on women and say, well, you choose what you're going to do um, when actually our society is still very much a formula feeding culture? Is and it a body shame thing? Is it kind of like, I'm not going to even go as far yeah. as to say it's like a sexualization of, of breastfeeding, but is it even the logistical thing of women have felt embarrassed or shameful to basically whip out their boob and feed in public? Because I think... When you are breastfeeding yeah. in public, you know, you you I've I have fed breastfed yeah. in public. I actually after the birth of my second child, um, we went to the playground with my first child, and it was like I think Theo, my son, was maybe about three or four days old, and I just had to feed him. Yeah. So I was like sitting in the playground with my full boob out because I actually just couldn't. I just find the whole faff of trying to conceal yourself <laughs> under a, a shawl just <laughs> too much. Yeah. So I was just sitting there, and it was like March. It was cold. There was cars passing by, but you're just thinking to yourself like. I'm in the playground with my tit out, basically. <laughs> Do you know? But 
so many mothers I see certainly as clients have not grown up with breastfeeding. So it's it's we don't take it for granted. You know, we haven't seen aunties or moms or neighbours with their boobs out in the playground or at home or anywhere. You know, so it's very difficult for, say, a mother like that then to just in a very unsort of conscious way to just simply breastfeed Mm -hmm. because, you know, subconsciously that that knowledge is not there. She hasn't grown up with it. So this is, you know, part of the challenge for mothers um, while, you know, we're, we're being given one message, which is breastfeed blah 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 yeah, and benefits best. and it's mm. get best and but yet that 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 support might not be there for you within your family or mm. your community or you there know you might not have been exposed to it there yeah. is a sense of of judginess in and it's another uh reason for women to feel guilt as well yeah uh you know do you mean judginess about breastfeeding or not of both like it's both and um, the tribes again yeah Yeah. it is but like I so I my group of friends I'm surrounded by my friends who are mothers like basically all of them have breastfed so that's kind of the culture within my friend group and there was never any like I always wanted to try my mother breastfed and she like I'm a twin so she did both of us at the same time like I know after a few months we did go on formula yeah but in my mind like mommy breastfed us you know yeah and I know my aunts did as well but I, I can't remember as a child ever seeing it like so I think that my um my mindset around it is with my friend group yeah yeah and there was never any like any shame or like my friends were just very open about it and I loved that so when I was having my baby I was just like I'm gonna give it a go and um I was very lucky that it worked out very very well for me yeah I was really apprehensive at the start because like I have one inverted nipple and like how the hell am I gonna do it and as soon as Fiona was born he crawled up me and he went to the boob that I didn't want him to go to (laughs) and he like just sucked the nipple out and started and he was fine he taught you how to do it he did yeah and it like the latch was good immediately and i didn't know that that was a big deal until after yeah Yeah. like so obviously after i was so green i didn't know what to do i didn't realize that there was a cluster feeding that you'd literally be he'd be attached to me pretty much 24 7 for Mm. the first while and i think that's actually really important if you're not prepared for that that can be incredibly overwhelming yeah i was just like somebody told me Oh, you, newborns sleep most of the time. Mm. Mm. Sleep on me, <laughs> attached <laughs> to me. <laughs> but that that's a you know really good point. Um, even is is understanding babies, and, and and this is part of the challenge for a lot of new mothers. They might have done the breastfeeding course or decided, yeah, you know, I'm going to breastfeed because that's the right thing to do, and I want my baby to have the best. But they may not really understand you know what a newborn baby is like a little newborn human mammal baby and if you don't know what to expect or you really don't know what normal is or you have unrealistic expectations that you know the baby's going to feed every three hours you know for 10 minutes on each side and is going to start sleeping through the night when they're 12 weeks old it's very hard then to sort of you know, let yourself sort of settle into the routine of breastfeeding a newborn yeah. because it's not going to meet with your expectations. It's funny because like I, my mum breastfed the three of us. I'm yeah. one of three and she breastfed me, f- I'm the eldest, she breastfed me for the longest. So I think I was maybe like, I think I was nine or 10 months old. I think I was even over mm-hmm. one before she stopped. Um, So kind of similar to you, Miriam, I don't ever really remember seeing her feed my siblings, but it was definitely something that was you know done and my my grandmother my dad's mum had five children she breastfed all of them and my mum says that she was an amazing help and resource to my mum because she kind of because my mum's own mum hadn't breastfed so kind of couldn't give any advice um and also probably was of that school of no 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 don't 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 be doing that now yeah get the formula cleaner easier don't be doing that to yourself um Mm. and then my 
other my other grandmother who I think probably out of maybe financial nece- necessity couldn't mm-hmm. have afforded formula for her all of her children because she had them in quite quick succession yeah. so she breastfed all of them two of which were twins um so you know I what I grew up in a very positive I suppose breastfeeding environment yeah. maybe yeah. subliminally or not yeah I think it, it um, was the same for me sub- subliminal yeah, yeah. Um, And my mom, obviously, when I was having my first baby, kind of said, like, you know, are you going to are you going to breastfeed? And I said, yeah, I'm definitely going to try. And I obviously was apprehensive because you do hear of women who their milk doesn't come in or they can't do it. And so I was nervous that I wouldn't be able to do it. But I thankfully was. However, my daughter, my first baby was born with tongue tie. okay, So she couldn't latch. And it was really traumatic. It was like my like one of my nipples basically I I foolishly again you don't know like you're yeah. handed the baby and you're told if she wants to feed feed yeah so I was trying to get her to feed and she was just chewing my nipple Ouch. <laughs> and it was yeah. completely like sp- cracked split it was like bleeding then I was seeing like she was drinking blood like it was oh, the whole God. thing was horrendous yeah. and thankfully I did the domino scheme which yeah. um, you know the the midwives come to you um for a couple of days after you have the baby to your own home which is I think the most amazing like five-star yeah, service I hear such good things about um, the domino like <laughs> incredible because I couldn't imagine having to get ourselves into the car and go into Hollis Street mm. for checkups but anyway um they, one of the midwives thankfully um, when she came she said how are you getting on with the feeding and I was like oh well I think I'm having a bit of trouble with one of my boobs and I showed her and she immediately just took action and it was the biggest gift because she yeah. basically said right you need to keep keep getting the milk out of that, that breast so what you need to do now is you need to go and you need to get a pump and you need to pump express the milk out of that breast and feed on the other breast and then when that's healed you just keep going and I yeah. was like okay and I am a structure person this yeah. is the other thing I've learned through um having kids I thrive on structure and it's that feeling of lack of control yeah. that I can't cope with yeah so once I had a plan in place I was like okay I can deal with this this is like a plan and she also because my daughter then wasn't getting enough milk she dropped yeah. like 10 percent of her birth weight um within the first few days and that was really stressful because we were like oh my god we're starving this and I probably was starving her in ways I didn't know like I didn't know that she wasn't getting milk um so she said like pump and then feed the pumped milk with the bottle yeah um and then hilariously like the the bottle is obviously a lot quicker like we were using the zero teats but like she was getting her milk way quicker and way easier through the bottle so I then would breastfeed as like a kind of a comfort thing yeah however her main milk supply was coming as breast milk that had been pumped via a bottle and I actually found that yeah easier and because I only had her I was able to pump like some women hate pumping because it is an extra faff mm-hmm. and it's yeah. like you're sitting there and you are a literal cow like you're being milked and <laughs> um, but I and it's given me I don't drink dairy anymore it's like I actually just can't bring myself I'm like these poor female cows have been put <gasps> oh through the gosh. ringer for me to have yeah. a milk in my tea um so I found that much easier and yeah. um, because I had the time to do it but then when I had my second baby he thankfully didn't have tongue tie his latch was instantaneous he was a great feeder but the logistics of me trying to run after a toddler and breastfeed a very hungry baby I just couldn't do it and I I only this is the thing I only lasted about seven weeks with him and then I pumped for like I was trying no sorry I was trying to pump within that seven weeks and then the pumping was like another job in itself so I just moved on to formula and I do feel guilty about it that's the thing but yeah for me what you're saying about you know when you're doing the counseling and everything and it's this kind of 360 picture of how you can approach feeding your baby for our family I couldn't physically like fit, not even mentally emotionally whatever the logistics I just couldn't manage yeah. the two kids at home but this is it. this is where we need to look at what are we saying to women about infant feeding you know and this idea that it's either breastfeeding and that's good yeah. and that's being a good mother or it's formula feeding and we don't want you to do that because that's that's not so good but there's so much more and pumping for your baby is fantastic also, you know, I, I, I spoke to a mother antenatally recently and she said, I don't want to breastfeed. I want to give my baby colostrum. And my response to that was amazing. Well, that's just great. Your baby's going to get colostrum for two days. So, you know, it's, it's that very fine line between giving people evidence based information, but also supporting them in every whatever choice they make, you know, but then um, you, you do feel an innate sense yeah. of selfishness that's the other thing because I, I will admit like I was very happy to hang up my breastfeeding boots on the <laughs> other hand because I was like 
oh my god I don't have to do the pads and you know like the breast pads in your bra and like it's like it's messy you go into the shower and there's like milk squirting everywhere and you know and then you're like you get out of the shower and you quickly like get the bra back on because you're like you know and your bra then is soaked and you're constantly washing the bras you know like and for me I just like as well selfishly like again you've given up your body for the guts of a year to grow yeah. this baby and then it's like into the fourth trimester and you're kind of knocking on like 14 15 months at that stage and I'm like I'm done but even I just want to go back fantastic. to normal fantastic you breastfed him yeah. for seven weeks and yeah. then you continue to give him some milk so you know can you find a way to reframe that and say oh my god amazing I did this and I also had a toddler you know if we yeah. can just move away from this like it has to be this and and also you know all the uh, HSE information is all about and all from the World Health Organization as well it's about you know breastfeed exclusively for six months mm. and you know then with complementary food for up to two years and beyond uh, and this sort of very kind of it's rigid rigidly yeah. defined whereas I mean I would be more inclined to say do some breastfeeding if you do some breastfeeding, that's great. Now, others might disagree and say, mm. oh, no, it needs to be, mm. you know, six months of exclusive yeah, breastfeeding. Yeah, like if you go on to the Lesh League, but, isn't that what it's yeah. called? And like, I feel like there's, <laughs> maybe this is obviously my own issue, but I, I definitely get a militant undertone when you read some of the, the information because it's very like, don't go near pumps. Um, really? And yeah, and like, because it basically, and I've, I have heard this, that it interferes with your supply. Yeah, um, but that's like at a certain time, you know, I yeah. mean, isn't it? It's, do you know what? We have to be really careful with all these sort of blanket statements about breastfeeding, like yeah. do this and don't do that and feed on demand and do pump or don't pump. And, do, you know, it's it very much depends on an individual situation. What does that mother want to do? What is the right thing for her and for her baby? So for somebody pumping from the get-go might be just the right thing you know um for somebody else maybe formula feeding is going to work for them for somebody else it's exclusive breastfeeding to for five years and also there are different you know types of support so sometimes you do have to shop around you know you might go to Quidju or the Lesh League or Friends of Breastfeeding or find a group on roller coaster or on mm-hmm. Facebook yeah, or that. whatever it is <laughs> and until you find a group where you think you know this is my tribe or I, I feel you know kind of comfortable with this group of women and, and that, that that's part of that journey um it definitely is the, the community like as I was saying with my friends who are like all breastfeeders but you know stopped at different times and whatever um, that's the same with my friends everyone would have attempted or, or yeah, done it at the start yeah, yeah. and then tapered off at different stages yeah. be that six weeks to two years but like now I'm at the stage where Fiona is a toddler and I never thought that I'd be breastfeeding yeah. a toddler because even though I, I, um, I think that breastfeeding is more accepted when it's a baby yeah and no, it totally is yeah, yeah like and this the the rules are the you know the guidelines that we were talking about how oh exclusively breastfeed till six months and then after that that kind of the six months is a bit of a a guideline for people rightly or, or wrong uh, there's no right or wrong yeah, as we were saying yeah. but the who guidelines are kind of a justification for women who breastfeed beyond babyhood if people are being you know, looking at you strangely or thinking you're well, you weird. Don't be like a Channel Four documentary. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, but, but, but it's it's the you know I I I am in a few different groups and I do encounter women who get like an awful lot of shit from their family members yeah. saying, "Ah, oh, like your baby is a year or eighteen months or two years. When are you going to stop? That's like weird." Well, we're uncomfortable with a child asking for it. I think that's what it is. Yeah, and I don't know why, but you know, I. And I probably am that person who's like, if the child can ask for it, you know, do away with it. Like, and I don't know why I am because it's like none of my business. But you know what I mean? But yeah. I think it's that kind of thing of like, maybe it's internalized, you know, my own issues it, with it. You, you know, know, very often it is. And I fi- often find this with clients that um, say if they come from a family where there hasn't been a lot of breastfeeding, it can be quite triggering for the mother, for the granny or the granny-in-law um so maybe she hasn't breastfed okay and sometimes that can trigger grief that she didn't know she 
had that she never got the opportunity to breastfeed like I know my mother you know formula fed all of us in the 1970s there was no are you going to breastfeed or formula feed so she never even got a chance and and there was a little bit of sadness you know when I had my babies that she she you know realized this was something she missed out on so she also she wasn't able to help me with breastfeeding she, she would sometimes say that and I said but mom you're just there and you're supporting me so she sort of became a breastfeeding granny that was a role she fell into in the way she supported me and and very often with mums and their mothers you know that they they have to sort of renegotiate the relationship and find a way for that granny to be su- supportive and maybe let go of wh- whatever emotional issues she might have been holding on to around her own breastfeeding or, or formula feeding experience we don't know but it but but it can sort of open up yeah stuff. a can of worms yeah. I suppose. For, for, for not just for the mother who's had the baby but for for other family yeah. members um yeah so it's complicated for sure yeah and triggering and and, and can be very emotional that's and really like, interesting. Are, like Miriam, have you decided like when Fionn turns two, are you going to reconsider it? Or is two the goal? Or are no, you just taking it day by day? Is, this is the thing about it. So I often talk about like my motherhood journey was all through COVID. <laughs> so I blame it and not blame it, but it's definitely a reason for why things went a certain way. So my kind of when I realized I could breastfeed and I was like that it, it was going well. Um, I was just like, oh, just keep on going, I suppose, and see where we get to. And then he turned six months when, you know, I was bringing in food and whatever. And I kept on breastfeeding because I wanted to and he wanted it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I remember thinking to myself before I had babies, uh, like I would never breastfeed when the baby <laughs> has teeth. Yeah. Not realising. I, I have to say, I don't know how anyone does that. But I didn't realise how <laughs> early babies get lost fingers, teeth. so I can't even imagine how my nipples yeah. would have fared. Well, you t- that, that's the thing. Like when they are, when they're latched on, you, well, I mean, obviously there can be biting, but um, Sorry, I'm like the way, here. but the way the mouth goes around, there's no teeth involved un- unless they're like obviously have a pang of pain and then they might clamp which has happened to me. But it happened before Fionn had teeth, but his gums were really, really hard. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so I never thought I'd be breastfeeding a child with teeth. And then I never, ever thought I'd be dress- breastfeeding a child who could walk or then you know, who could <clears throat> not, like Fionn's not quite asking for it as in like he doesn't speak it, but mm-hmm. he comes over to me and like his, at the stage now where he's lifting up my top and he was doing it in public and I wasn't that comfortable with that. Um, because you're fear, you're the fear of being judged. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And like this is so this is in public. So then I started trying to even though I breastfed on demand, I still basically breastfeed on mm-hmm. demand because we don't have a structure like that. Um, so when I tell him indicate that I don't want to when we're out or something like that he's confused and like upset because it's like well why why aren't you um and you know I'm I'm at the stage now where I'm not getting any sleep and when my husband puts Fionn to bed he actually is getting sleep so Fionn is waking up in the night and wanting milk just because of the I I'm so hesitant to say because of the comfort because I do know that there is still nutritional value in Mm -hmm. the breast milk even you know when the baby starts eating food because that's another common sort of that's what people say a lot it's like oh he doesn't need it anymore he eats food and you know why would you give it but you know breastfeeding is about so much more than food and uh, you know milk is one aspect to it it's a relationship and for some women you know breastfeeding is about nurturing Mm -hmm. in that kind of physical way and skin to skin and cuddles and you know not that's not to say that you know you can't bond and have cuddles and skin to skin if you don't breastfeed but you know obviously for you and your little guy it's 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 more than just feeding and also when you sort of get into that stage of breastfeeding a toddler yeah you know on on, on the one hand he doesn't need it and of course he'd be fine if you did wean but it's part of your relationship with him and it's a, it's an ongoing sort of journey um, to negotiate that relationship. 
and and ha- you know meet your needs and meet his, his needs founded by two finnish women with sky high standards lola and Lika designs and develops amazing health and wellness products for mums including an award-winning range of breastfeeding products this includes their smart electric breast pump that has been voted as the best electric breast pump for three years in a row by both the mother and baby and made for mums awards the fully wireless pump is designed for mums on the go, making pumping easy and effortless no matter where you are. And what's more, you can pump directly into handy milk bags for easy storing and transporting of breast milk. Visit lolalicka.com for more information. Well, another thing that I used to think to myself before kids again, when the mother was feeding an older child, I'd be like, oh, it's it's just for the mother now. Like, yeah. that's what she wants. And I like now I like... I hate myself for thinking that because it's do you know so what? It's okay to want to breastfeed. You see that that is the thing as well. So, yeah, so is I, it like I, do you is it still for you? I know that I would will really miss it when I stop because we've been doing it for so long now and it is our moment of connection. We snuggle up together. It's like it's such a lovely thing. And because it's so easy and natural feeling, um he I know how much he loves it. And, you know, I do too. And, like, in so many ways, I do want to wean. Just because of the freedom, basically. Um, And in so many other ways, I'm just like, I would miss it so much. So, it's like, I never, ever, ever thought that I would feel like that. But nothing can really prepare you for how you're going to feel and what meaning breastfeeding can have for you. Um, and one of the things I hear so often from mums I, I work with is um, they'll say something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, I decided I would try breastfeeding and that I wouldn't beat myself up about it if it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But then they discover that they really care about breastfeeding and something takes over something, whether it's an age or whether it's conditioning or whether it's something primal, who knows? But but something they hadn't expected, some kind of desire to keep breastfeeding and nurturing their baby but that's not to say it happens for everybody and you know likewise some women might you know say well they wanted to breastfeed and then change their mind and thought oh do you know what <laughs> it's not for me but that's also okay and I think we really need to stop moralizing infant feeding do you know it's actually interesting because after Isabel was born there were breastfeeding groups and um, this pre-covid and um my public health nurse w- really encouraged me to go and I, I kind of felt like I was expected to go yeah and um, it was like we will see you I think like on a Tuesday it was like we'll see yeah. you Tuesday now at 10 and I was like okay and um she was trying to help me obviously and I went anyway and it was all the mums just sitting around breastfeeding and I have to say I just walked in and I was like this is not for me and it's yeah. not because I <laughs> think breastfeeding is bad or shameful or whatever like I really was trying my best to do it and I really wanted to do it um but I just was like I just don't want to sit around and talk about it yeah and like I know that sounds really um I don't know kind of dismissive of of the amazing resource Mm -hmm. that is there but I kind of thought to myself like this is again I I sound like I don't know what but anyway um I just kind of thought to myself like I'd rather just go meet one of my friends for a coffee but that's do you that's know, like, fine. instead of sitting and excuses talking that. to strangers. The groups are there and they're not for everybody. And the Lash League isn't for everybody. Mm. And Quidju isn't for everybody. And breastfeeding may not be for everybody. Mm. You know? That's the thing. Like, I wanted to breastfeed yeah. and I was happy to breastfeed. And, like, obviously after you get through those initial few days where it's, I find it excruciating. Um, and I think that's something else that you're not prepared for. Um, and obviously there's latch issues. But, uh, you know, I just then, I, d- I didn't want it to be, like, a theme I was like, I've had the baby now. Everything's healing. I'm I'm kind of trying to get to grips with this new life that I have and whatever else. I just want to kind of go about my business. I don't want to sit around and talk about certain aspects of what I'm physically doing. Yeah. Do you yeah, know? So yeah, I think yeah, that completely. was kind of where I was coming from. Yeah. Well, I, when I had Fionn, there were no, nothing was open. Like it was the depths of COVID. Yeah. So I had no option. Like I think there was someone yeah. online, but I like t- just did not want to it's do that. It's just not the same. Mm. I feel like I would have actually loved going to a group See, that's and the sitting thing. around. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, they are for some people. Um, and, and like obviously we talk about all aspects of parenthood mm. on this podcast yeah. and like myself and Miriam have talked about our labor stories and like I'll talk about that till the cows come home do you know <laughs> what I mean but for yeah. me just talking about breastfeeding um I just was like 
oh, like everyone just sort themselves out. <laughs> just, yeah. I'm good yeah. for, I'm good for but coffee. It's different things to different people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's to, to try and sort of embrace who you are and your mothering journey. And the thing is, no matter what, there will be aspects of how you mother that you will criticise yourself for or feel that you're not living up to some ideal you have of yourself, yeah. this idealised vision of being a mother. And Do you know what? That is it, actually, because I think it's the, the critical mm-hmm. side of it. Like I... Um, there was obviously the tongue tie, but I have really big boobs and I find it extremely hard to maneuver them yeah. and like without smushing the baby and I had big babies as well. So it was trying to kind of like maneuver this big baby and try and get them to, you know, and like I was shown so many different positions by different midwives that were trying to help me. So I was kind of confused. I was like, okay, well, one's just said do the rugby hold and then another one's kind of done this koala thing and whatever. Um, so... You know, I find that a bit stressful. And then I think it's that other thing of like, you don't want to be um, wrong, yeah. you know? And I think that's probably something that's really deep inside me. I don't ever like being in trouble. And I have definitely yeah. like authority <laughs> issues. Like, I'm, like I'd, I think if I still even met like one of my secondary school teachers on the street, I'd be like, hello. Like, I feel like I was in trouble yeah. and I'd done something wrong. Um, so like, I'm all talk, but then like when it comes yeah. to it, I'm like, I'm very good deep down. Um, so I think like it was that kind of feeling of, maybe mini failures ever and yeah. I just couldn't really deal with it so I was like I'm I'm just going to do my own thing and of course motherhood is the biggest and the most important thing that you're ever going to do in your life so of course you want to do it right and feel that you're doing it right but you know what's right for one mother may not be right for another mother and this is where we you know have to forge our own path and reconcile maybe all we think we know or everything we've heard with the reality of our own journey and and try and make peace with that and like motherhood and it's an ongoing journey you know it totally. doesn't it doesn't just happen over the space of you know the, the fourth trimester mm. but the, i think that's what we kind of say as well myself and miriam like so much about parenthood it's like an ongoing therapy session yeah. that you didn't even realize that you had these things kind of going on in the back of your mind that like mm. come to the fore when you have a baby and you're kind of forced to address them and i suppose make amends but with certain things it becomes the biggest part of your life you know mm. and like I sometimes can't remember not having that huge yeah. like part of me that is parenthood and everything that comes with it when you know even when it comes to socializing and yeah. work and everything it's just like it's I think you ima- before you have your, your baby you imagine that you might be able able to compartmentalize it yeah. mm. but there was a term I came across recently um it was a British psychotherapist and she was talking about motherhood and she said, you know, when you have your baby, an existential space opens up. I sort of imagine to be a really big existential space that you step into. And you're like, oh, my God, where am I? What's going on? And, you know, while on the one hand, your heart opens up to bond with this baby and to love it, it can leave you. I suppose the flip side of it is that that makes you very vulnerable and all these feelings and emotions and stuff that's sort of being <laughs> wrenched open. Y- you know, it's all very raw. Yeah. It's funny, though. I think, like, uh, you know, I find, weirdly, I find motherhood to be very empowering. Mm. Um, and it's given me a confidence in, I suppose, myself and my body that I was yeah. able to do something. And I think, you know, for me, I suppose, when breastfeeding wasn't going to plan, that kind of was conflicting with this overwhelming sense of overall empowerment, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, come on, boobs, like get in line. <laughs> We're empowered here. And yeah, that's so funny because like I had sort of body ha- hang ups about my boobs because I've like very small boobs. Well, they're bigger now. Thanks, breastfeeding. <laughs> and uh, that's, right, and that's <laughs> the other thing. When I was breastfeeding, they were ginormous. So I was like, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ, I can't deal with these. But um, the inverted nipple as well. I was just like, oh, I'm like impaired. And then suddenly they were like, performing this function that was just you know feeding my child and um I'm like I felt so I I I didn't even realize until now now that you've said it that Mm. I actually felt empowered that way Mm. and still do I suppose because like we're still going and um that's alongside that vulnerability yeah you know so it's empowerment also vulnerability that that can coexist yeah you're you're sort of trying to navigate through those two things yeah. but for women I suppose that don't uh find breastfeeding very easy mm. or or it doesn't come to them naturally I hate even saying that like it comes naturally 
but obviously there's some women who as Miriam said like the child crawls up latches yeah, on milk yeah. flow is there and away they go there's other women like me that had um a latch problem because yeah. you know that was just it is what it is physiological thing what about women who maybe do want to breastfeed but their milk doesn't come in or the child the baby doesn't feed naturally yeah. like are there some women because this is the other thing yeah. it's or... the most natural thing in the world quote yeah. unquote however yeah. for some women it isn't natural and it doesn't yeah. come naturally and are yeah. some women just like are 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 some of them just unable to do it um, for a range of different reasons? Yeah, I mean we we can't kind of say oh well all breasts work and mm. you know breastfeeding is perfect for everybody. Sometimes it's really hard, and this is why you know my profession exists. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't be here if you know <laughs> breastfeeding was a walk in the park for everybody, and you know all of these breastfeeding support groups wouldn't exist if breastfeeding was that easy. Um, you know, not everybody can make enough milk to feed their baby. Um, most women can, but, you know, there is such a thing as low supply. I know a lot about that because I'm, I've am i been doing research on that for the last couple of years. Okay. Um, researching women's experiences of primary low milk supply. So, you know, around four to five percent of women physiologically or anatomically cannot exclusively breastfeed because they don't have enough milk ducts in their they, body or in their um, breasts for a lot of them it's not having enough glandular tissue okay oh. um, and, and do I, you know like can you predict that well yes and no you, you can identify markers for what's called insufficient glandular tissue antenatally where breasts are often sort of there would be a wider than normal gap or they might be slightly asymmetrical or have a particular shape like a sort of a more of a bulbous shape um, and often you'll find that those women may also have polycystic ovarian syndrome or they might have had very irregular periods during puberty, which impacted on breast development. So but I would have a lot of clients who have primary low milk supply. A lot of them will make maybe 60, 70, 80 percent of the milk their baby needs and then they'll supplement with infant formula. But for those women who really wanted to exclusively breastfeed, it's it's um, it's a big emotional journey to, you know, find self-acceptance that's the in, thing again in, in you feel like your body's failed you yeah, yeah absolutely yeah um which is uh, such a hard thing to to come to yeah, terms and with. they feel like they're falling short of this ideal of being a perfect or a good mother but yeah breastfeeding isn't easy for everybody and there's there's so many things that can um make it challenging whether it's tongue tie or having had a very difficult birth experience you know if there's birth yeah, trauma can you tell us a bit more about that i find that kind of interesting yeah well, very interesting um in that a, a, a birth trauma can contribute to you know n- not being fully able to breastfeed it's not so much that it contributes to not being fully able to mm. breastfeed but sometimes it's not the perfect start you know and yeah. in an ideal world you know we'd all give birth at home in a birthing pool in our living room with mm-hmm. candles and it was just all you know mm-hmm. warm and cozy I bought a salt lamp for my birthday yeah. <laughs> it, it never saw the light of day but anyway you know, and in that lovely environment yes baby would crawl up to the breast and you'd get off to an ideal start and you'd snuggle up in your bed and but we you know most women give birth in hospital mm-hmm. settings and a hospital is a hospital there are bright lights and lots of staff and a lot of interventions yeah you know a lot of women are induced Mm -hmm. and sometimes that leads to a less than ideal birth experience you know they're given oxytocin and things like uh, you know forceps and von and episiotomy that's so funny Um, because like all of that happened to me yeah so i was fion was over or 10 days overdue yeah. I mean I know the due dates are a bit arbitrary anyway but I was 10 days with Isabel were you? yeah <laughs> but in that way like yeah. I feel like he was ready to come yeah and I was ready to have him definitely uh, but I did end up being induced and, yeah. and he was um, he was born by forceps and he yeah. had a little like procedure in his head and things that I can't quite know what, what that was and I did have an episiotomy and like when the doctor was stitching me up, that's when Fionn was like crawling on me. But, you know, it's it can be subjective. I mean, mm. that experience of trauma. But it, see, it I don't high, you know, feel like I had a yeah. traumatic birth. But, but then, and you don't you speak know, about it as if no, it was yeah. traumatic. You had yeah. In yeah. interventions. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a, a traumatic birth isn't defined by oh, I know. the kinds of interventions you have. Yeah. But, but the feeling 
But I know that, that some people has, who've had you know, that kind of thing yeah, could yeah, it, have can, could consider it traumatic. Yeah. Or yeah. if there's been separation of mm-hmm. mother and baby, you know, if mm-hmm. baby need to, to go to the NICU, yeah, um, and there not as much breastfeeding happens in those, you know first 48 hours yeah. that might impact on breastfeeding or milk supply or you know if babies first feed and, and diet bottles. can, yeah. can yeah. affect milk supply can't it like if you're stressed out and and mm. if you're not eating um yeah i mean you know ideally you you want to be in a good headspace mm. but it stress doesn't directly affect sort of your milk okay. supply it, it can if it's very high it can affect the flow of oxytocin so mm. milk could be slower to let mm-hmm. down um but and there does, are so does many diet affect it no yeah okay that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> As a so eating all those lactation because yeah. like my i actually didn't do it but my mom was like i found a great recipe for lactation cookies and i was like what are they and she was like there's oats i was like they're basically flapjacks like do there's know. very little evidence that anything you eat is really going to affect your milk supply there's no yeah. harm in eating oat cookies or Drinking mm. fennel tea or all of these things, but um, when it when it comes to actually looking at the evidence for whether it's herbs or food, it's it's just not there okay. at mm-hmm. the moment. That's not to say that you know um, if somebody takes fenugreek and they say well, it's really improved my milk supply. Yeah, because at face value, and a say, lot of it's well, anecdotal, great. isn't it? And yeah. we do kind of get, especially in motherhood, you get a lot of anecdotal. Absolutely, advice. and everybody wants to share yeah. their own experience and say to you, "Well, I did X, Y, and Z. Therefore, this is the right thing to do, and this is what well, I would suggest for you." I didn't have um, a problem with milk supply, but my sister-in-law sent me um, breast milk, you know, yeasty cookies or whatever they were, and. They were delicious. <laughs> so, and I was so hungry. Breastfeeding made oh, me that's the thing. so hungry. Yeah. So I like gobbled them all up and you weren't supposed to eat them all at once. <laughs> and like, it gave me close, to, well, I kind of like consider a milk explosion. it. Yeah. Pretty much. Like it was, they were, you know, it was still really early days and you know, you're still regulating anyway. But like after eating all of those cookies at once, um, I like seriously almost thought that I was getting mastitis. <laughs> That's actually something to talk about. So mastitis is something that I suppose a lot of women don't really know about before they're breastfeeding. Um, And even if you are breastfeeding, you can still get it. Yeah. You know, like it's it's not necessarily that you've missed a feed or skipped a feed and then all of a sudden you get it. Like why or what is mastitis really? And like, why do some women get it? It, um, oh, mastitis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look at. I would say most women who breastfeed get blocked ducts or mastitis well, at some stage. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's very common. Um, it's it's usually it starts with sort of an area of the breast where milk has backed up. Okay, and if you've lots of ducts filled with milk, to sort of to bursting point, some of that milk can spill out into the surrounding tissue area and cause inflammation. Okay. Um, and that can look like a red spot and appear like mastitis um, and the mum might get fluey. It doesn't always have to be treated with antibiotics. Um, you know, the first course of action would be try to empty the breast. Yeah. Um, very, very gentle massage. The, the, the important thing is to not go in with firm pressure mm-hmm. um, because sometimes you can end up sort of doing even more damage yeah. that way. Try to keep the milk flowing, maybe apply cold after feeding. Um, I find a hot shower was really good. Yeah, yeah. sometimes like, hot shower before the kind of you feed yeah. to get the milk flowing. Yeah. And then afterwards, if there's inflammation mm. or there's redness, cold compress okay. um, and then if you know you've tried everything if after 24 hours or so you're still not feeling great then to go to your doctor and yeah. talk about getting antibiotics but you feed through it when you have feed, mastitis absolutely you keep feeding through, feed through that it that is yeah. the, the one time that it was sore for me yeah. like for the feeding obviously the black yeah. duct was sore but also the the feeding part was sore when yeah. Fionn was trying to because they were engorged you yeah, know yeah. and that's when it's not, not comfortable yeah. at all mm. but yeah I mean I, my friends were, yeah. who had been through it were giving me that advice um, yeah. and it worked. Um, uh, but that, because I thought, so I knew it was a blocked duct. I thought it was mastitis because I felt fluey as well. Yeah. But that, again, this is in early days. And I also think that I might have been absolutely exhausted and overwhelmed. Mm. My husband took Fionn 
like for the whole day and I just stayed in bed that whole day and slept like I hadn't had an opportunity pro- to properly sleep like he did bring him into me when he was obviously hungry and needed the feed mm-hmm. but um I think that that was part of it I as mean, well I, I maybe think it's yeah. you know very often mastitis happens where mom is trying to do too much yeah and yeah um, it kind of goes know, back though to this fourth trimester yeah, idea yeah. again and like the like the more we talk about it the more obvious it seems that it's ludicrous that we as a society have babies and have no support yeah and um, and obviously partners can give a bit of support but then they have to go back to work and you know whether you're at home with other kids or on your own with the one baby you know yeah it's it's crazy like I, even talking about like you know women with low milk supply like obviously back you know centuries ago um and in some countries they still do it some parts of the world they still do it it's again it's a community thing and if yeah. you can't feed your baby probably someone else will yeah absolutely you know yeah. and we don't would have happened that. yeah because I've, I've had clients say to me oh my god if this had happened you know 100 years ago my baby would have died I said no that wouldn't have happened because you know going way back and generations ago you know we would have grown up in um with extended family around us and in tighter knit communities where yeah. somebody would have helped out with feeding the baby, there would have been some other breastfeeding mother. Yeah. So, y- you know that that's probably what would have happened, and what still happens in lots of parts of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, f- for the mothers now that I work with who have low milk supply, it's fantastic for them that they have access to safe infant formula. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like I, I had one client who said her mom also had low milk supply, but. At the time, she was living in a part of Eastern Europe that was under communist rule. Mm-hmm. And they were unable to get infant formula. And they made some kind of yogurt concoction with cow's milk. That they but you just had to be resourceful. To their babies because yeah. they had nothing else. Yeah. So, you know. Um, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that is also just a really important point as somebody who did move on to formula. Like when you don't, especially with my second baby, when you don't have the supports and don't get me wrong, like my friend, my family are amazing and my mum yeah. has been an amazing support to me. But, you know, they're not there all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, it kind of like it, it makes sense to go on to formula when yeah. you can't manage breastfeeding from a logistical point mm-hmm. of view. So like, you know, formula is demonized a lot in some kind of schools of thought. But at the same time, you know, when you strip away all the supports that are yeah. th- that were there, you know, hundreds of years ago, and we've now moved into this like modern, you know, mm. globalized environment yeah, where you know yeah. people are expected to go back to work and blah 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 blah. You know, like of course you're going to move on to formula. Yeah. Like, it, it, do you know what I mean? It's kind of a no. Like to me, it's a no brainer because it's the modern equivalent to yeah. a support system. You know, formula isn't the enemy, mm. and and formula isn't bad. It's you know the safest alternative we have breastfeeding and we're lucky that we we have access to safe but formula you think about you know, tiny babies in who were born very prematurely whose mothers mm-hmm. just don't well, they, feed them as well. they would get um donor milk from the milk bank in Fermanagh oh. so if they're born before a certain gestation because it's very important for preterm babies to is get it? breast milk and oh. only breast milk yes really yeah it is because um preterm babies who don't get breast milk are at a much greater risk of necrotizing enterocolitis and and that can be fatal. Um, So we have one milk bank in Ireland. It's in Fermanagh Mm. and it supplies all the maternity hospitals in Ireland with donor milk bank. And and some breastfeeding mums who happen to have an abundant supply will pump and donate milk to the milk bank in Fermanagh. And most of it would go to preterm babies or very compromised or sick babies because in those situations it's it's just so important that those babies that is so selfless wow yeah i think it's they're amazing, amazing that women would yeah not not like not just want to do it yeah. but you know that they can and that they yeah they have that kind of selflessness in them because every yeah. drop i pumped i was like yeah. you know if you like ever knocked over if you pump, yeah. pump <laughs> and you knock over the bottle like yeah. i've i've nearly cried so many times because yeah. you're like that is the most precious thing and it's gone it is precious and for those babies it's life saving Mm. that is actually Um, so amazing and you sometimes see if you follow on Facebook I think it is the um, oh blood bikes have you ever seen that so they they would deliver breast milk yeah the same donated human milk yeah Yeah. sometimes and they'll sometimes post um, you know they might be flying off on their motorbike from 
whether it's Fermanagh down to Limerick to mm-hmm. donate milk. Can you privately avail of a milk donated milk? Is there yes is there a milk no. so, is there a milk so, black market? So um, I don't know. Maybe there is on the dark net. I don't know. I hear rumors maybe in America. I'm like I'm the not, ultimate luxury. I'm not aware of any breast milk being Chanel sold. handbags and donor milk being sold here in Ireland. Um, however, there is a network of informal uh, milk sharing okay. called um, Human Milk for Human Babies Ireland. Right. And this is where mothers will informally share breast milk but there's no money exchanged there's no money exchanged um so let's just say for example there is somebody in terenure and they have loads of milk but they don't want to sort of commit to donating to the milk bank Mm -hmm. they might put a or go through this um organization and get them to put a message up on their facebook page to say well you know mary in terenure has five liters of breast milk if anybody wants it so people Might would go on Mary <laughs> you know <laughs> then contact the page and say I'm in wherever um, I'm unable to make enough breast milk for mm-hmm. my baby um, I would love to have that milk and then they would put these two people in touch and then they, they can negotiate the terms not as in financial mm-hmm. but the person receiving the milk might want to know well you know are there any smokers in your house or are you dairy free or are you on any medications or whatever it is? Can you be that choosy though if you're going through like the semi-black well, market? Well, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's each to their own. Yeah. Um, so but it's just for some women, it's really important to them that their baby only have breast milk mm-hmm. and they will go to extraordinary lengths to get donor breast milk from other women. And like you know, someone else's breast milk would have more beneficial, like, so I suppose I was under the illusion that your breast milk is like, a special I suppose you know like biological cocktail that what your body is producing is ideally suited to what your baby needs yeah it is yeah and uh, every woman's breast milk is unique however you know it's 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 good for all babies mm-hmm. you know you, you don't babies don't only have to have their own you know their okay. mother's breast milk somebody else's breast milk but is probably just fine too. It, is it true that um you know, if your baby is sick or something, that yeah. you can produce mm. the yeah antibodies or yeah 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 like that your body knows to do that for your yeah own. yeah like, your body I just think will that it's just magic produce. So when your baby is in contact with you, um, and their saliva is in contact with your areola, that will send a message to your lymph system to make antibodies specific to that antigen that's detected in your baby's saliva. Yeah, that's um, incredible. Which, incredible. Which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So the composition of breast milk changes all the time to yeah. adapt to your baby's needs. You know, and the breast milk that you make in the first few days after birth is different to the breast milk you might make two weeks later or the breast milk that you make for a toddler. You know, the composition of sort of fat, protein and various antibodies changes over time. So there's also, um, I think a lot of mothers who are starting out get kind of confused mm. as to you know do you use just one boob or do you go through the <laughs> other one or like there's there's the top milk and the bottom uh, you yeah know. I know I hear this all the time I just go oh my god no no listen just stop with the fore milk and yeah. the hind milk okay milk your baby just needs milk mm-hmm. enough milk per 24 hours okay there's no sort of hard and fast rule about well you must feed on one side for 20 minutes and your yeah. baby needs to empty the breast you know what I'd say to moms is just Put your baby on one side, let them feed. When they seem to slow down, put them on the other side. We just, you know, switch a good bit. But don't feel that you have to keep your baby on one side for any given length of time. They don't have to get like this, you know, Start your main milk that everybody <laughs> talks about. It's all milk and it's all good. And if you're feeding on demand, you know, as in you're not trying to schedule feeds, mm-hmm. your baby will just get the right amount of everything over the course of 24 hours okay okay you know, that re- it does remind me because now I have this image of myself in my mind the how zen I was you know just earth mother just feeding my baby but I had my the notes open on my phone that I would be recording which boob how long what time of the whole day like I did that for a month and you know what you know so many mothers do that until you get to a point you go 
what am I doing? Yeah. But we're so it's again, <laughs> that comes back to how are we talking about breastfeeding and infant feeding? Mm. Is it in terms of numbers? And so many of the mums I see after they've come home from hospital, they're like, I have to feed every three hours, 15 minutes on each side. And then I gave 30 mils and then I put, you know, and mm. this kind of it's all very, very much based on quantitative research and this sort of empirical information but breastfeeding actually is a right-brained activity you know it is a bit fuzzy and touchy-feely and how do I feel and what does my instinct tell me it's not about you know 15 minutes on each side because Mm -hmm. I mean that tells you nothing I mean one baby could feed for five minutes Mm. and get 100 mils another baby could feed for half an hour and get 10 mils you know it's it's or you obviously can't tell you know you doze off I know you're not supposed to say that (laughs) especially in the night feeds you sometimes will just wake up at the start and be like oh my god I felt breast sleeping you know that's the the term that's been used now Mm. to describe that sort of continuum of breastfeeding and sleep that it's it's sometimes it's hard to sort of separate where one begins mm-hmm. ends and the other begins well it did happen to me I know like again should I be admitting it well I am we're very open on this <laughs> podcast <laughs> we get ourselves into a bit of trouble yeah. but anyway but I'd be like sitting up w- with baby in my arm feeding him and I would like just wake up then yeah I don't know how long I'd be asleep for and he'd still be in my arms you know mm. not but do you know what there's, there's a kind of sleep I think you you do when you're a mother mm-hmm. that there's this little part of your brain just stays alert. Yeah. Even oh, subconsciously, totally. yeah. even yeah. though you don't know it, you, you probably respond in your sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's why you can sometimes get annoyed with your um, partner who <laughs> could sleep through the cries <laughs> that you have been listening. You know, like if, if you wake up and you, it's yeah, well, like, especially yeah. with me and my husband, like we kind of take it in turns if, if you know someone wakes it's like right it's your turn but you know there's there's often times where I will lie there going it's not my turn and you're still asleep oh yeah um but I think yeah it is it's definitely like a, a very primal instinct yeah. yeah and nighttime parenting is is not something really we really talk about antenatally either mm-hmm. you know um but that's you know half of it it's, yeah. it's a huge part of it and and trying to navigate that and get your head around it because um we nothing can really prepare us for what night times are like and that sort of you know yeah i have to say like yeah in the early days and of, of both children i think the nights are something that you kind of dread a bit because yeah you know as both of mine were born like january and march it's dark it's cold yeah. um and it can be kind of lonely. Yeah, you know, can, yeah. you're up in the middle of the night and no one else is. Yeah. That's reading well, books and on your phone. In the summer, <laughs> Bjorn was a baby still. And like I was feeding him to sleep and I still am. And that's a thing we have to try and not change because I don't want to change yet. But find another way to get him to sleep so my husband can do it. Um, but during the summer, it was bright until 11. And I would be in there with Fionn at 8 and in there with the curtains drawn for the rest of the night. <laughs> That's like when you're put to bed when you're young, you know, and you can still hear kids on the road playing. You'd yeah, like, please, oh let me go out. Are you ever going to yeah. the pub? I was like, mm. <laughs> Not that I'd be going because, you know, it ha- I'd still have a baby in the house, but at least yeah. I could be downstairs in the bride. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I would say to a lot of mums, like, um, stay downstairs you know park yourself on the sofa put a movie yeah. on i would do that now yeah but in hindsight yeah, yeah. i yeah because yeah, um oh, you know there's just so many things that you do you do oh, hindsight is the right yeah. thing yeah you have to follow your own path and learn and make mistakes and figure it out for yourself and get to a point where you go oh, you know so this is this is how i do it yeah um yeah but it's giving yourself that permission it's That's giving the yourself thing. that permission and mm. space to go you know and to to sort of to own it and mm-hmm. say this is my experience and mm. this is who i am and I that's okay whether you know i'm breastfeeding until forever or i'm choosing to formula feed or i'm you know doing it this way or that way it's yeah. the comparison thing you know yeah it's just comparing yourself to the them. reason and, and I was doing yeah. it was because all these other people in the groups I'm in were putting their babies to bed at seven or eight so I'm just like I have to too mm. yeah when I realize now that I kind of you know in Spain they wouldn't have been going to bed yeah. until 11 yeah, yeah. yeah. they're out having dinner yeah 
Yeah. And so. in a way, why is it even up for discussion? How yeah. The way we're treating women I yeah. know. and judging their parenting on all levels. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I know it's that eternal question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kiva, thank you so much for coming in today. <laughs> I've got so much information. I um, I don't know if I'll have a third child, but if I did have a third child, <laughs> I feel like I would be approaching my breastfeeding journey very differently. Good. Um, and if women who are listening or men want to get any information, mm-hmm. um, where can they go to find out a little bit more about the services that you provide? Um, well, just in, in general, go to the HSE breastfeeding pages. There's lots of information there with links to all the various um, breastfeeding support groups. I see clients in uh, South Dublin, in Dundrum. My website is latch.ie. And um, just for anybody else who might have is breastfeeding and has low milk supply, I run a, a support group every couple of weeks just for mums who are breastfeeding with low milk supply. Okay. On Zoom. Yeah. Oh, very handy. Great. Yeah. You don't even have to leave the house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thank you for having me. Lovely to chat to you. This episode was brought to you by Lola and Licka, a Nordic health brand for mums. In addition to their high quality products, Lola and Licka offers mums lots of evidence based information, antenatal education, and expert advice. Lola and Licka works with both Irish and Finnish lactation consultants who are always at hand to answer your breastfeeding questions for free. Lola and Licka's goal is to fill the gaps in conventional maternity care and ensure that more mothers receive the support they need when they need it. Lola and Licka's collaborative team of experienced midwives, physiotherapists and other experts work together to navigate, educate and help mums make the choices that are best for them. Simply log on to lolalicka.com and submit your questions to the Lola and Licka expert team.